Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage that teaches that there is a spark of the divine within every human being. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. The bell is full of wind, though it does not ring. The bird is full of flight, though it is still. The sky is full of clouds, though it is alone. The word is full of voice, though no one speaks it. Everything is full of fleeing, though there are no roads. Everything is fleeing toward its presence. Every Sunday morning we say our mission covenant together. Because it's important to know why we're here. So please say with me, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Wild Geese by Mary Oliver You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscape over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of So, what aspects of yourself do you show the world? And what aspects of yourself do you keep kind of back in the back room so that you can continue to have family, friends, and a job? (laughs) The parts that we keep in the back room of psychologists sometimes called the shadow side, your shadow side. And looking at what's in the back room is called doing shadow work when you realize this might be something in me that I'm dealing with. There are actually seats on this front row. Can anybody who has a seat next to them raise their hand so we can be hospitable to people who don't have seats yet? Might be more comfortable 
to sit because I'm going to talk for a while. So it's called shadow work, and I'm thinking that shadow work is the key to ending racism and war on our planet. It's not a small thing. In his book, The Care of the Soul, Thomas Moore says that the person we choose to be automatically creates a double, the person we choose not to be. We make choices about how we present ourselves and our families, and when we're teenagers, our job is to try on different selves as if you were trying on outfits at the mall. You try on, you go, uh, I'm a preppy. No, wait a minute, I'm a hippie. No, wait a minute, uh, I'm really emo. My jeans are really tight and I never smile. We choose, as we grow up, which of our qualities to make the bright face, like the bright face of the moon, and which of our qualities to make the shadow side, like the shadow side of the moon. And um, the qualities we choose for our shadow side, whether it's consciously or unconsciously choosing, those are qualities that we... um, Most of us just deny that they're there. You'll hear people say things like, oh, I never get angry. Or, um, I just don't have a mean bone in my body. One of the ways that you start seeing what's in your shadow side is by seeing what you project on other people. This whole projecting thing is as if you have this um, movie camera in your back room and it films everything that's back there and shoots it out of your body and onto the screen that is the world. And so you see the things that are in your back room, but you see them on other people. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. I'm going to tell you some examples of things that might be in the back room and how they get there. If you were always supposed to be the quiet one in your family, in other words, if, if it was dangerous for you to be noisy in your family, and you, some of you know what I'm talking about. Others will go, what do you mean dangerous in your family? Yes. <laughs> then you would push the noisy part of you, your exuberant self, your festival nature, you would push that into the back room just for your own survival. If you have... Um, exuberance in your shadow in the back room, then sometimes when you start projecting, i.e. when you're stressed or when you're lonely or when you're hungry or when you're tired, um, you start seeing exuberant people, loud people all around you, and they get you. It's like you're surrounded by boisterous people, and it feels dangerous. You have to get away from those people. If you were um, always supposed to be happy in your family, then All of your negativity and your depressed side, which everybody has, is firmly in the back room. And so you project it on other people. So you see somebody just kind of looking quiet and you go, what are they so depressed about? They need to tear up. If you're an unconscious person, which none of y'all is, but... (laughs) 
And you would really have a hard time, the tireder you were and the more stressed you were, have a hard time being around depressed people. And it would feel like they were stealing the life from you. That you had to get away. If in your family you had to be smart or you might as well shoot yourself, um, then all the dumb parts of you, and we all have them, uh, are in the back room. And when you get hungry or stressed, it's like you're surrounded by idiots. Ah, I see you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we avoid the things that are in our shadow, that are locked in the back room. We avoid them, and yet they seem to surround us. And church is a perfect place for this to happen, and that's why your minister is talking about shadow work, and I'll keep doing it. And I'm not saying that the shadow is involved in every interaction that you're going to have, but it's always worth asking yourself, when somebody is just making you grind your teeth together, what? how would I describe this person and what's making my teeth grind? Well, the, this adjective, this adjective, and this adjective. And then you go, might I have some of those locked in my back room? Just if you want to get mature. If you don't want to get mature, forget about it. So, the reason I say that the shadow is the root of all racism and all war is that everybody in the culture is taking the stuff in their back room and projecting it out on other people. And it's the people who are the other, people who are different from you, that it's easiest to project on. And so, without exception, every single group who's hating on another group, every single group who's racist about another group, says this about them. They're lazy. They're sneaky. They don't care about human life. Their religion is stupid, over-emotional, and they're oversexed. Without exception. And we should wipe them out. That's the next thing. So, when we can look at ourselves and say, um, instead of when we watch the news and say, how could that person do that? To look and be very honest with yourself. You're just at home alone. You're, on the, you're at the TV. You're, you're watching the news. Nobody's going to see this, but you go, is that in me really? If I were really honest, is that in me? Can I imagine a circumstance where I would do that? And if you can say, and this is the big downside of working as a therapist for a while, because you get to see the both sides of everything. It's hard to take a really pure, righteous stand on anything. Because you look at yourself and you go, wow, I think maybe if my children were in danger or if I were hungry enough, I would do that too. That could be me. And you know that you're not a good person. And you know that you're not a bad person, you're just a person. And the line between good and evil runs right through the middle of you. Not in a clean way so that you could, like, cut the part that's bad off either. It's just all mushed together like chocolate and milk. So that said, that we sometimes project our shadow on people and they drive us crazy, 
We also have what they call a bright shadow. We also take parts of ourselves that are almost too good. This is what I'm going to talk about now. Things that are almost too good, and we stick them in the back room because we're scared of them. A great spiritual teacher named Marianne Williamson wrote this. It's often attributed to Desmond Tutu but or Nelson Mandela, but neither one of them said it. It was Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're playing small, doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We're born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people the freedom to let their light shine. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So, maybe it's true that we are somehow frightened of our capacity for nobility. Maybe it's true that we think, if I were that gorgeous, fabulous, talented, shiny, then uh, what would happen? That people would want stuff from me all the time, or... I would never get to rest and just watch bad TV. I would never get to be small and insecure. I would never get to fall apart. Falling apart is really important to me. So if I were that fabulous, where would my falling apart time go? Away. That's not okay. So you get hesitant about really allowing yourself to be as wonderful as you are. And we project that, too. That's another thing. So you pick somebody who's in the financial magazines or somebody who's um, a teacher or a minister or an authority figure of some kind, and you project on them your qualities of light. And you imagine that they are somehow better than you are. This didn't happen to me with a person because I, you know, working as a therapist for 15 years, you get to know people a little too well. But... um, This happened to me with a house. There was this house in my neighborhood, and every time I would drive past it, it looked so neat and well taken care of. And I had two small children at the time, so neat and well taken care of was far from my experience in any area. And I was having fun, but nothing was neat. And um, this house just looked like nobody in there ever had a worry or a problem that they were always happy with each other and nobody was ever too quiet or too loud and their music was always playing just right and they didn't watch too much TV and they ate healthy things with brown rice and whole grains and (laughs) vegetables. And and I just imagined that this family was like living in a Coke commercial all the time only without drinking Coke. So how do you find out what's in your bright shadow? You 
you make a list of people you admire and you make a list of their qualities that you imagine that they have. And, you know, you always feel inadequate next to these people because, as the 12-step folks say, you're comparing your inside to their outside, so you're always going to lose. But you make a list of qualities that you think that they have, and then you know, this quality is in me, in seed form, maybe. Maybe just in a possibility form. But it's in there. I, I think there's something to this. I think there's something to our being scared to be as, um, as successful, not financially necessarily, although that true, that's also true, but as wonderful as we want to be. Because we, we have taboos in our society about it, especially if you're from a place like Minnesota or something where you're supposed to not be different and not stick out. Um, I'm sure there are lots of places like that. It's not, I'm not just picking on Minnesota. Um, in the South, if you get too big for your britches, they'll say, you're getting above your raising. That's a bad thing. It sounds like this. Oh, he's getting above his raising. <laughs> if you just heard it on the street, you might think it had something to do with fruit, but it doesn't. And maybe you know the Japanese proverb that says, the nail that sticks up will be hammered down. I think a lot of cultures have taboos against getting too big. Taking up too much room in the world. But our faith teaches that there is a divine spark in you. That there is a piece of God in you, whatever you understand God to be. And for me, it's the connection amongst all things in the universe. There's a spark of that inside you. And so you're about as big as it gets, you know? And that there is love vibrating through this net of connection amongst everything. And so there's love flowing through you and out from you and into you. And how would your life be different if you thought, there's a spark of God in me, and I'm loved. I know I behave better when I feel loved. I know I feel stronger when I feel loved. I feel calmer when I feel loved. What if you felt loved all the time? What if that urge to um, beat yourself up could go away? I know. Some people are saying, well, if it went away, I would just dissolve into a pile of mush. I would be terrible. I would be an awful person. Okay. So, all right. What if that urge to beat yourself up could go away just like every other day? So on alternate days, you could yell at yourself about how lazy and stupid you are, although I would really wouldn't advise that. But every other day, you have to say, there's God in me, and I'm loved, and just see what happens. But the wholeness of the divine shines through you because the whole thing is in every spark. I'm going to close with a quotation from a letter that, um, that Martha Graham and Agnes DeMille were writing back and forth. Two beautiful dancers were writing back and forth. 
and they were pioneer dancers. And there is something in every artist, and I think it's true in every human being, that says, what if, what if what I'm doing is just terrible? What if I'm no good? What if everybody who, who comes to my show or sees my paintings or listens to my music or what if they just are being polite? What if everybody's looking at me like I'm Phoebe singing Stinky Cat, Smelly Cat? And so Martha Graham wrote this to Agnes DeMille. There is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and will be lost and the world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is or how valuable it is or how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. So my friends, maybe every other day we could feel loved and every other day we could say, I'm keeping the channel open. And if you want to do it two out of three days, that would be fine too. And now go in peace with love flowing through you, knowing that you are loved. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.